right, good morning, Hillside. Welcome in. We're going to start some worship if you guys want to stand up. And I just wanted to pray this morning before we got started um, into worship. So would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this morning, just the privilege it is to gather and worship you and hear your word. So I just pray as we worship and are in community today that you would just um, open our hearts to what you have to say. And um, So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to this time, um, ask that you would move in our hearts and that you would have your way. God, you are already in us and I just pray that you would make your presence known and just remind us of your nearness and the life that we have in you. So God, we love you. All right, we're gonna sing and invite the Holy Spirit in this time. If you know it, sing along. Sing as the Spirit was moving. As the Spirit was moving over the water, Spirit come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. As the Spirit was moving over the Let's 
It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. All right. Good morning, church. Great to see you all this morning. we got a lot going on this week, so I want to start with just some announcements of things that are happening in the life of the church this week. We have our monthly prayer night tomorrow evening at 7 o'clock. And just so you guys know what that looks like, there's usually about six or eight of us that kind of make up the core of that group. And then every week we get a few extra people that kind of join us just as they feel led to join us. And it's just a really good, intimate time of prayer. And I know one of the primary points of focus tomorrow evening will be the nation of Israel and everything that's going on over there. So if that's heavy on your heart, if that's a burden that God has put on your heart, please join us tomorrow night. Please come and pray with us. It's a very informal time. It's a very friendly time. And like I said, just an intimate time of prayer. So tomorrow night from 7 o'clock um, to 8 o'clock next door in the coffee shop. Also, for the young adults here, um, we've got another um, kind of study hangout night Thursday evening at 6 o'clock in the coffee shop. So that's a great opportunity to come, get some coffee, study, get together, hang out, and have some fellowship. And then we have our men's Bible study um, next Saturday. And then the women's Bible study meets again the following Saturday on the 28th. So all those details are in the web on the website. They're in the weekly email. And you can ask me afterwards if you have any questions. We're also getting to that time of year where we're going to start highlighting Operation Christmas Child. This is a big event for our church. We are the, the collection center for the city of Golden and surrounding areas. So we will have hundreds of Operation Christmas Child boxes coming through. And we encourage you all to participate in that as well by filling up boxes and helping with that collection and packaging and all that. And we've got a video that we're going to show you. And then Barbara Bond's going to come up and give you some more details. So Jeff, can you cue that? أنا اسمي جيسيكا أشرف عايشة على الجسر في قرية البيضية بالمنيا في مصر من أربع سنين أنا أخذت البوكس وكسبت في البوكسة دياتي هدايا كتير فرحتني كان اللي جيت فيها شراب وبنطلون وتشيرت وجيت فيها عصفورة دياتي ولجيت فيها كتاب قصص عن الرب يسوع ده أكتر حاجة فرحتني ابتديت احضر برنامج التلمزة وافتكرت ان القصص ذاتي كلها مش حقيقية بعد ما سمعت عن محبة ربنا وان هو مات علشاني بدأت تصدق وحياتي تغيرت تعلمت ان ربنا بيحبنا وكل واحد فينا لحياة ابدية وجيت عايزة الحياة الابدية دي ليا وجيت اشاركها مع الناس التانية قررت ادى حياتي لربنا وعيش ليه عشان شفت تغيير في حياتي فحبيت ان انا اغير حياه الناس التانية كمان وبسبب طبعا كورونا تم غلق كل الكنايس بما فيهم الكنيسه عندي اللي كان فيها التلمذه وقفنا كل حاجه فجات خالص لما عرفت ان جاسيكا بدات تعمل مجموعه مع الاولاد اللي في الشارع بتاعها جيرانها ابتديت اجمع الناس اللي ساكنه حواليا او جيراني في وقت كورونا عشان كانت الكنايس مقفوله وبدات اشاركهم برنامج التلمذه شاركت ايماني مع اصحابي وهم امنوا وسلموا حياتهم ليسوع ابتديت اشوف تغيير حقيقي في حياتهم ربنا اداني ايمان في قلبي وحياتي اتغيرت من الشكل للايمان ربنا دايما معايا وحتى لو مش بيديني اللي انا عايزاه وهو معايا في كل في 
كل وقت وبيحبني أنا بحب ربنا وهو متأكدة من حبه ليا وأنا عايشة للأبد Awesome. Barbara, why don't you come on up and give us some more details about what we're going to be doing. Good morning. Uh, my name's Barbara, and I've had the privilege to work with OCC the last few years and be a part of an amazing uh, Denver West area team that collects all the shoe boxes from around in our local area and our local churches that we partner with. And um, as you can see from the video from Jessica's story, the shoe box is a gift that these children receive, probably in some cases the first gift they've ever received. And through it, they also receive a book, even if before they go to the discipleship program, a book in their own language that talks about creation and all the way through the birth of Christ. And at the end, it gives them the opportunity to receive Jesus. And so, the shoe boxes are on the table out in the lobby. Take one, take two. Fill it and know that we spread the gospel to the ends of the earth to these children through these shoe boxes. Thank you. Yeah, Barbara's been doing this for, like she said, several years, and it's an incredible service to the church and to the world, um, really. It's an amazing ministry. So please get involved in that. Uh, the actual collection times are in mid-November, so you'll see information about that in the weekly email. I'll put it on the website and all that so you can sign up to come and help for an hour or two to collect the boxes, package them, get them all checked in and all that. Uh, so it'll be happening during a week. I think it's November 13th through the 20th, if I remember correctly. And there'll be like two hours each day that you can come in and volunteer and help. So again, great way to serve and minister as we lead into Christmas and start, you know, thinking about that, preparing your heart for that. <clears throat> the last thing I want to mention today is <clears throat> our thoughts on the basement next door. Um, as you know, we remodeled the coffee shop about eight or nine years ago. We, re we finished the basement below us about seven years ago, I believe it was. And the one part of the church that has not been remodeled, that is still kind of vintage 1950s, 60s, um, literally, uh, when it was first built, when it was Ford Street Baptist Church, um, needs some love. It's getting a little tired. And we've been aware of this, this need for a long time. Um, we, we know it's an issue. Uh, but we have been very prayerful over the years to just trust God and to just uh, wait for his timing and wait for his funding and wait for his provision. And we're starting to sense as a leadership team that it might be time to start moving forward on that. We do have some money set aside for that. We probably have anywhere from about a third to a half of what we need, depending on what exactly we do. But there are still significant needs um, for the funding. But we're going to trust God with that. This is not, you know, we're not going to put the thermometer up on the wall and start asking you to fill out pledge cards. That's, that's not our style as a church. <clears throat> but we are going to ask you to pray with us. And to just trust, we, we just want to trust God with the provision for this. Um, we believe if he wants us to move on this, he will provide the funding for that. And so we are going to be in the process over the next couple of months just kind of dreaming, creating a vision for the facility, what we want that old basement to look like when it's remodeled and refreshed, how we're going to use it, how it's going to work with the new basement and children's ministry and youth group. And, you know, we need more 
meeting space and fellowship time, you know, fellowship space. So we're just going to be praying about that and really, you know, trusting God to lead that. And we're aiming to have a plan, Lord willing, by the business meeting. We always have a business meeting at the end of January. And so we are hoping to be able to present some recommendations and a plan to all of you because we will need congregational support on that. So the only request today is to be praying with us, to be praying about what that would look like, to be praying about God's provision, and just that we as leadership and, and as a church would just do the right thing with this facility. This is an amazing facility. We're incredibly blessed. Um, and we want to continue to be good stewards of that. So please uh, join us as we pray for that. So let's pray for our time together, and then we will dismiss kids. Heavenly Father, thank you so much just for uh, the good that you do through this church. We are grateful to be part of what you're doing around the world. And Lord, we know we're just here being your feet and your hands, and uh, we just thank you for the opportunity to do that. We do pray for guidance and wisdom and discernment and clarity about the old basement and what that could look like. And Lord, we just are so grateful for your provision for this church through the years. Um, it's just remarkable the way that you have provided for us. We just trust that's going to continue. So give us patience as we wait, but give us hope as we anticipate. And Lord, we just pray for your blessings on our time this morning. And just uh, thank you for allowing us to be here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to go ahead and dismiss kids now. Youth group can head over next door. Kids can head out to the lobby. If you're new here and you want your kids to go down to Sunday school, just take them out in the lobby and we'll get them set up in the right place. And the rest of you, for the next couple minutes, just say hi to one another.
Let's uh, regather here and uh, grab a seat. Great to uh, see you all this morning. It's a beautiful day out there, so I'm glad that you're sharing part of it with us. Um, I have said over the last couple of months in various messages, it's kind of one of kind of one of my key themes when I teach and preach is that we cannot disregard the Old Testament, um, and we cannot be indifferent to it. And in the same way, we cannot disregard Israel or be indifferent to what is happening there. Um, the nation of Israel, as most of you know, was viciously attacked earlier this week, and thousands of people in the region have been killed or injured in what is becoming an all-out war. And this is a significant issue. There is, by last count that I saw, about 1,300 people in Israel that were killed. And that's a, that's a huge number, especially when you compare it to the size of their population. I think their population is around 9 or 10 million. So if you take that as a percentage, 1,300 people, and then you apply that percentage to the United States, which is about 300 million, that's the equivalent of about 45,000 people being killed in the United States. That's 15 times more than were killed in the World Trade Center bomb, well, the whole 9-11. So it is a significant loss of life for Israel. And what's worse is the brutality of the, the attack and the atrocities that have been committed, and then just the spread of death and destruction to the areas surrounding it and to the people around it. So needless to say, it's horrific and it's distressing. And we talked this week in our elders meeting about kind of wrestled with the idea of should we spend like an entire Sunday talking about Israel and really giving you some context. And we decided not to for several reasons. One is that we are going to be talking about Israel a lot in the next several months. We're in chapter 8 of Romans right now, but once we get into chapter 9, 10, and 11, it is all about Israel and Israel's relationship to the church and vice versa and God's plan for Israel and all that. So we're going to have a lot of time to talk about Israel in the next several months. And hopefully it will still be timely. I mean, hopefully it will be, you know, a good timing for us. Um, but also, we, I wanted to share a message of hope this morning, which is what we get into with Romans 8, chapter, uh, or verses 1 through 4. But I did want to make a couple of quick points before we get into that message. Um, prayer points, if you will. So again, I encourage you to join us tomorrow evening for our time of prayer. But as you're praying um, yourself for what's going on in the world, um, be thinking about these things. One is we need to pray for the nation of Israel. We need to pray for, for, for wisdom, for their leadership, uh, for, the, for the leadership of our country, for the leadership of all the countries that are allies with Israel. And we need to pray that our country and those countries that are allies with Israel will continue to support Israel. Because if you understand the geography of that part of the world, Israel is this very small little country and they are surrounded by many enemies. That's been changing over the last few years. There have been a number of accords and agreements signed that have given Israel some friends in the region, but they're still surrounded by a terrifying situation. We need to pray for the people of Israel. 
I believe that the people of Israel are still very important to God. There are some theological perspectives out there that say the church has replaced Israel, etc., etc. I don't believe that's the case, and I can't find that in Scripture. I, I, and I think we'll see that as we get into Romans 9 through 11, that, the, that Israel is still very significant to God. And there's an incredible amount of grief and pain and fear that the people of Israel have experienced for centuries, and it's coming to a head now once again. And we also need to pray for all of the innocent people in that region that are being impacted by this situation. Okay? This is not a Muslim issue. Okay? This is not even a Palestinian issue. We can't just say, okay, we're going to support Israel and pray against all that. It's a terrorist issue that's causing this problem. There are a lot of innocent people living in this area that aren't Jews, that aren't Israelis, that are being impacted. We have brothers and sisters in Christ living there. And we need to be prayerful for all of them. So please don't make this a divisive thing, an us-them kind of thing. You know, and then kind of going along with that, we need to recognize that ultimately this is a spiritual battle. That is the key, and I'd say that's probably one of the most important prayers. The enemy in this battle is spiritual. So we need to pray against that enemy who continues to stir up angerness and bitterness and hatred and violence and evil. That's what's going on here. I mean, what we're seeing here is a spiritual battle acted out in a physical realm. And it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. If you read the Bible clearly, I don't know that we're going to ever see peace in Israel before Jesus returns. There's always going to be something going on, and that's sad, but it's probably true. So we need to be praying for that return of Christ and that peace. And then lastly, we need to pray that God would take what the enemy is using for evil and turn it to good. And I believe he can do that, and I believe he is doing that, and I believe he will continue to do that. And we need to pray that the people that are impacted by these horrific circumstances will turn to Jesus, will turn to Yeshua as their Savior and recognize Jesus as the Messiah and trust him as Lord and Savior. God can do amazing things in the midst of terrible circumstances. You think back to 9-11 and how people came together, how churches were filled to the brim, and that lasted for a while, which was great. And God is doing amazing things even now. I saw an article this morning about a Catholic church in New York City that took a procession of the Eucharist. So they blessed the Eucharist. It's a whole liturgical thing. They, they put it in the staff and they took it as a procession with their church out into the streets of New York. And people by the thousands were drawn to this procession of faith, which was really cool. So, so we're going to see things like that, but we need to keep praying for things like that to happen. Keep praying for the Spirit to move. Because that's what's happening, you know, if you look at it, and I'm not going to start equating things one-to-one -one with biblical prophecy and such, but things are happening in the world. It's rough. It's going to get rougher, and we need to be prepared as believers to, to speak into that darkness and to encourage people in the midst of it. So, before we get into our message, let's, let's pray together for that. God Almighty, um, there's just so many things on our heart that we could be praying for. And Lord, you know our hearts. And Holy Spirit, you, you pray for us. You groan to the Father on our behalf when we don't know what to pray. 
And Lord, admittedly, there's times when we just feel completely helpless in these situations. But we can always pray. We can always seek to encourage. And we can always look for you in the midst of the darkness because you're always there. So Lord, we pray for those that are affected by the situation. We pray specifically for the nation and the people of Israel. We ask for your protection and your support. And while there may never be peace in this time, we do pray for an end to the hostilities that are going on and the atrocities and the brutality and just ask for your protection. And for those that were taken and abducted, we ask for their safe return and we ask that there be no more death and Lord, that you would just conquer the enemy. Well, we know you already have conquered the enemy, but that you would manifest that in this day. And we just pray for you to do remarkable things and we trust that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as I said, I wanted to share this passage this morning because this section of Romans that we're going into is one of the most hopeful sections in all of Scripture. And what a great time to hear a message of hope when you look out, when you turn on the news, when you look, and all you see is despair. If you are a follower of Christ then you have great hope, period. And we're going to see some of the assurances of that hope this morning. But if you're not a follower of Christ yet, then you are looking for hope. And I pray that this message and what Paul is saying through this section of Romans gives you hope. And I encourage you to listen this morning with a very open mind. And I also encourage you to come up and talk to me afterwards I'll stay as long as I need to if you've got questions or concerns or thoughts or you want to process through this stuff. Now, the first seven chapters of Romans deal primarily with the problem of sin and the justification of the believer. That's what we've been talking about for several months now. You see, we have a sin problem, and that sin problem started back in the Garden of Eden. And as a result, sin has become part of our human nature, part of our spiritual DNA. Now, God anticipated this sin problem and had a plan of redemption in place from the beginning. Immediately after Adam and Eve committed the first sin by eating the forbidden fruit, God foreshadowed his plan as he was announcing the consequences for their actions. Speaking to the serpent, right after he had tempted Adam and Eve to sin, he said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. Speaking to the serpent again, between you, the serpent, and the woman. And between your offspring and hers. Now, interestingly, here in the Hebrew, her offspring is actually in the singular. So it's not this list of descendants, it's one descendant. And that points to Jesus Christ. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So this was God foreshadowing a Messiah, a Savior, his plan of redemption, immediately after they sinned. And then in the New Testament, we see this plan of redemption fully revealed in Jesus Christ. God the Son came to earth as a human, lived a sinless life, died an atoning death, and was resurrected. And by doing so, he overcame both sin and death. And when a person believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, a profound change takes
takes place in their life. They are justified. They are declared righteous before God. And this means that their sins, our sins, no longer count against us. In chapter 7 of Romans, which um, Kevin just ended last week, ends with Paul's recognition of this spiritual reality. He says, what a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Question, answer, done. Right? He acknowledges his sin problem. And he expresses his gratitude for being delivered from this problem of sin by Jesus Christ. Then in chapter 8, which we're moving into today, Paul writes about the results of justification. And he spells out a number of assurances that we as believers can count on. We are no longer condemned. We are children of God. We are heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. We are saved. The Spirit of God intercedes for us. We have God working for our good. We have God on our side. And ultimately, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. I mean, these are remarkable assurances, which is why some people call Romans 8 the greatest chapter in the Bible, because we see all of this hope. Now, for this morning, we are just going to focus on the first assurance here, that we have no condemnation. So we're going to be in chapter four, or excuse me, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, okay. where it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might, fully, might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Fortunately, Paul always gives us plenty to dig into. But before we do that, let's pray for our time in the Word. God, we just thank you for your Word, and we thank you for Paul and the way that you wrote and worked through him, the way that you changed his life so dramatically on the road to Damascus. And as we talk about this passage, Lord, we just pray that you would be glorified, your Word would be illuminated, and we would be edified and encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so imagine yourself sitting on death row in a prison, and today is the last day of your life. And you start to hear footsteps coming down the corridor. It's probably the prison guards coming to retrieve you from your cell. But instead, it's the warden. And he tells you that you are no longer condemned to die, that you have been acquitted. And you are free to walk out of that prison. Imagine the sense of relief that you would feel. Imagine the joy that you would feel. In a very real sense, this is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. We are all guilty of sin. Every single one of us. 
and we deserve death as a result of that sin. But Jesus took that punishment for us. And because of what he did on the cross, we are no longer condemned. We are acquitted. We are free to walk out of that prison. And that is the miraculous truth that Paul is referring to here. Now, we place a lot of importance on the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. He lived a sinless life, and his teaching teaches us how to live, right? But it was actually Jesus' sacrifice, his death on the cross, that brought our redemption. That is the key thing that he did. And that is the message of the gospel. By dying on the cross, Jesus paid for our sins in full. Because again, we have a sin problem, every one of us. Looking back on the previous sections of Romans, Paul has declared that every person every born, ever born is born in bondage to sin. Romans 3, 9 through 12 said that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of that sin is death. But for those that trust in Christ and his redemptive work on the cross, there is no longer any condemnation. Amen? Amen. If we believe that Jesus Christ was God, that he came to earth as a human, that he lived a sinless life, that he died an atoning death, and then he was raised from the dead, then that penalty for sin no longer applies to us. And that's what Paul is stating here in this passage. The believer is no longer condemned for their sins. And the believer no longer has to fear eternal separation from God as a penalty for their sins. Now, as Kevin talked about last week, that doesn't mean the battle with sin is over. Okay? The battle between our flesh and the spirit of God that is living within us won't end until we die or until Jesus returns. But this gives us assurance that we are no longer condemned. Verse 2 then tells us why we are no longer condemned. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, as we discussed a few weeks ago, the law itself is not sinful. I mean, Paul actually declared that the law is holy, righteous, and good. But because of our sin nature... The law and the enemy arouses sin and brings death. But again, the law itself is not sinful or deadly. If it was sinful or deadly, Jesus would have come to abolish the law. But he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And Jesus is the only person to ever have fulfilled God's law perfectly. And by doing so, he freed us from having to fulfill the law ourselves. So we are no longer condemned because we have been freed from the law of sin and death, and it can no longer condemn us. But again, as I said earlier, that doesn't mean we can disregard the law. We should not be indifferent to it. It is true that obedience to the law cannot save a person. That is not a means to salvation. But true saving faith will produce 
obedience to the law. And when you think of law in that sense, it's God's holy and righteous standard. So when we are saved, we are then motivated, driven, impelled, compelled to, to fulfill God's holy and righteous standard, which is another way of saying God's law. So we are free from the law of sin and death, but presuming that that freedom gives us a right to do anything we want is a mistake. We are not freed from obedience. We are freed for obedience. And the Spirit of God empowers us to live holy lives pleasing to God. Now verse 3 tells us how we were set free from the law of sin and death. It says, for what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. So, how are we set free from the law of sin and death? Well, we are set free from the law of sin and death by God's sending of his own son to be a sin offering on our behalf. This is the idea of substitutionary atonement, which we've not really touched on yet in our study of Romans. But in the Old Testament law, a person who sinned could offer a blood sacrifice as an atonement for their sins. See, because of sin, the sinner deserves to die. Okay, and the reason for that is kind of interesting, and this is why blood is so important in the Old Testament. The reason for that is God is a God of life, not a God of death. God has given us lives to live. When we sin, in a sense, we are taking the life God has given us. We are killing the life has given us by sin. But he's a God of life, not a God of death, so he needs atonement for that. So that is where they bring an animal and provide a sacrifice which represents death. And the blood of that animal serves as a substitute for the blood of the sinner. That is the idea behind the sin offering, which is what Paul mentions here. The sin offering was one of the most significant offerings in the law. If someone was guilty of a sin, they would bring an animal to the temple. They would sacrifice that animal. They wouldn't just hand it off to the priest to do it. They would sacrifice the animal. And it was usually an animal they had raised. Okay, so there was some connection to this animal. And the blood of that animal would then be used to purify the altar. And the person who was offering that animal would receive atonement, would, would, would atone for their sins and receive forgiveness. So the life of the animal was a substitute for the life of the sinner. So what God did is he sent his son to substitute for us, to atone for us. And Jesus' death was the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. That's why we no longer have to adhere to the sacrificial system. That is one example of an Old Testament law that we no longer have to literally do because of what Jesus did for us. We don't have to kill an animal when we sin. We still confess so that Jesus can purify us, but we don't have to do that. There are other aspects of the, of the law that we still do, but that's an example of one that Jesus took care of for us. He paid the penalty for every sin that we will ever commit or have ever committed. Now, if you're following along in the Warren Wearsby commentary that we encourage you to look at called Be Right, he brings up the law of double jeopardy in the context of this passage. Now, the law of double jeopardy is a legal concept that basically says you can't be tried twice for the same crime. 
If you're found innocent once, they can't retry you later. Okay? So we have committed crimes against God in the forms of our sin, right? But Jesus went on trial for our behalf and took the penalty for those sins. He's already been tried and convicted on our behalf. And that's what he did for us. And since he was already tried for our sins and already paid the penalty, those of us that are in Christ are no longer condemned. We cannot be condemned or tried for those sins again because Jesus has already done that for us. And so in the sin offering, the offerer couldn't just bring in any animal. They had to bring a clean animal, a cl an animal without defect or blemish. That's why it was so important that Jesus lived a sinless life. He went to the cross as a sin offering, as a clean, unblemished, without defect sacrifice. And that's why Paul says here that Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus was fully human, but he did not have a sin nature. So that wording there is very important. And because he was also God, Jesus was man and Jesus was God, his sacrifice satisfied the wrath of God and became the once and for all sacrifice for all of humanity, which the writer of Hebrews states plainly in chapter 9. He says, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. So again, the law is good. The law commands righteousness, but the law cannot provide that righteousness. Only Jesus can. So what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son to die for us as a sin offering once and for all. And what Jesus did for on the cross, did for us on the cross, was to conquer sin and death in the world. So sin that once condemned us, but now God, through Christ, condemns sin. The result of that is that the righteous requirement of the law can now be met in us. Again, we tend to disregard the law. We just toss it out and say we don't need to worry about it. But what it's saying here, what Paul's saying here, is that by what Jesus has done for us, that righteous requirement of the law can now be fulfilled in us. So it'd probably be good for us to have a basic understanding of what the law is talking about, right? Now, I mentioned earlier that fulfill it by fulfilling the law, Jesus freed us from having to fulfill the law on our own. But that's only one side of the equation. By fulfilling the law, Jesus also enabled us, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to actually fulfill the law ourselves, which Paul addresses here in verse 4. We are no longer condemned by the law, and we no longer look to the law for salvation, but that doesn't mean we disregard it, because we are still called to holiness. And the law is God's standard of holiness. And this part of the passage really deals with sanctification, which we have discussed a number of times over the last couple of months. But remember, sanctification is the lifelong pursuit of becoming more like Christ. It happens when we are saved. It ends or it begins when we are saved. It ends when we die. So when we come to faith in Jesus, we are justified. We are declared righteous in God's sight. And then for the rest of our lives, we endeavor to become more and more like Jesus every day. That's sanctification. Now we saw last week at the end of chapter 7 that that struggle between the flesh and the spirit is an ongoing one. 
but it is possible for us to live a holier life because of Jesus' death and resurrection, because of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, and because as believers we have been freed from the power of sin. But again, that doesn't give us the freedom to do whatever we want. Like I said earlier, we are freed from obedience. We are not freed from obedience. We are freed for obedience. And the Spirit empowers us to be obedient and to live lives pleasing to God. So we no longer live according to our flesh, but rather according to the Spirit of God living within us. And we have a new nature. And that new nature in Christ longs to be holy. We are much, much more aware of our sins. I think back to my time in, in high school and college before I was a believer. I sinned readily. I sinned willingly. And I didn't have that conviction. After becoming a believer, after coming to Christ, I know I still struggle. I still struggled with a lot of those same sins. But I was much more aware of it. I was more convicted. The struggle became real. And this is what Paul writes about in his letter to Titus. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no. Okay, so we don't immediately have that ability. The Spirit teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's sanctification. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. That is the change that takes place in us. We become more and more eager to do what is good. So again, imagine yourself being on death row and being told you're free to go. How would you respond after you left prison? I, I, there's people out there that would respond by going out and breaking more laws and participating in criminal behavior, especially if there was no threat of condemnation, right? No fear of that. But I think most of us would respond with gratitude. And our desire would be to, from that point forward, obey the law and not break it. Purely out of gratitude. And it might not be easy, but since we are now living according to the Spirit and not the flesh, it is possible. So that leads to a couple of application points for this morning. <clears throat> if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Christ, I want you to know one thing this morning. You are no longer condemned. Period. You have received a death row But I want you to strive to live for a holier life. Not because you have to, but because you want to, out of gratitude for God. And not in your own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. We have been freed from the bondage and penalty of sin. But that freedom is not license to do whatever we want. That freedom should lead To holiness. And that holiness should lead to obedience. This goes back to what Roman or what Paul said in Romans chapter 6. He says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. That's the gratitude piece. Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, if you are not yet a believer, if you have not yet made that decision to follow Christ, I want you to understand that you are still condemned. You are sitting on death row. Now, I know that is a harsh message. I know that sounds judgmental. I am not trying to be harsh or judgmental. I'm not pointing fingers. I am extending a hand. As the saying goes, a Christian is just one beggar who has found bread telling another beggar where they found it. See, the only answer to the sin problem, the only answer to getting off of spiritual death row is to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's it. Jesus' purpose in coming to earth was to be an offering for sin, to die for us. And that sacrifice makes it possible for us as sinners to reconcile with a holy God and have eternal life with him. Jesus took the penalty for the sins of all humanity. And by believing in him and accepting him as, Jesus, as, as Savior and Lord, you can be free from that ultimate penalty. You just need to believe. That's it. So as we close, I'm going to say a prayer. And, and if you're in a place where you're ready to make that step, if God's been tugging on your heart and you're there, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And if maybe you've prayed this prayer in the past and you are a follower of Christ, but maybe you just have kind of fallen into a place of disinterest or apathy and you feel like you need to recommit, then please pray this prayer. You can pray it more than once. There's, there's no rules there. But please join me as we pray. Father, we thank you for this truth that comes out so clearly in Paul's writing. We're thankful for the hope that it provides. And Jesus, we are thankful for what you have done for us. So again, if you want to pray this prayer along with me, please do. And dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and that I have fallen short of the standard that you have for my life. I may not understand all the details, but I'm starting to get the picture. And I believe that you died on the cross for me to pay that penalty for my sins, and I am so, so thankful for that. And I believe that you were raised from the dead, miraculously, supernaturally, inexplicably, but I believe it. So Jesus, I turn away from my sins and I ask for your forgiveness. I turn my heart over to you. I turn my life over to you. I trust you as my Savior and I will follow you as my Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, 
you're saved. That's it. And then the rest is being sanctified. You are justified. You are declared righteous. If you prayed that prayer or maybe you weren't quite ready for that or you want to ask questions, feel free to find me or one of the other leaders to talk to after this. We really want to introduce you to our friend Jesus. Amen. for your truth this morning. Thank you for the freedom that you paid for. God, help us to believe that freedom. To believe that you did what you said you were going to do would you silence the lies of the enemy that would try to condemn us, that would bring guilt and shame. God, we choose you and your truth. We choose to believe you. God, would you help us with our unbelief? Help us believe you.
the propaganda I've heard the lies they whispered to my soul That I have been forsaken And I'll always be forgotten No matter what I do, it's not enough Then I heard a voice as it opened up the heavens Reminding me of who I've always been I am your beloved, you have bought me with your blood And on your hand you've written out my name I am your beloved, the one the Father loves. Mercy has defeated all my shame. Amen. There's no accusation or any condemnation. When I look into my Father's eyes, They don't see my sin, they only see redemption. This is how my heart has been defined. I can hear a voice that is louder than the thunder, reminding me of who I've always been. I am your beloved. You have bought me with your blood And on your hand you've written out my name I am your beloved The one the Father loves Mercy has defeated all my shame I am yours, Lord I am your beloved you have bought me with your blood And on your hand you've written out my name I am your beloved The one the Father loves Mercy has defeated all my shame Again, the one who knows me best. Oh, the one who knows me best is the one who loves me most. There is nothing I have done that could change the Father's love. Sing it out. Let's believe it. The one who knows me best is the one who loves me 
that's where you are this morning in that struggle of belief your sin is too great or your shame is pressing down or your guilt just confess that just like we confess our sin we confess our need for the Lord so God we confess our need for you our need to believe the freedom that you've given us God, we're sorry for believing the lies of the enemy. God, we thank you for your truth. And that your truth brings freedom. God, help us believe your truth. We choose it.
I think sometimes we get caught in this cycle of um, sin. And we talked about this last week of um, just coming to a place of repentance and then um, going further up the mountain and then coming back um, and asking for his grace and forgiveness. And um, we forget that we are um, set free, not condemned. And so that's something to celebrate and live in and embrace um, that we don't have to be in this cycle um, so we're gonna sing one more song um, and this really is just a proclamation um, of his good forgiveness and coming this place of dependence um, saying we need him um, but not in a place where we're um, abusing his grace so we're gonna proclaim together um, his forgiveness and his grace, yeah, and just celebrate that together and what it means.
worshiping with us. Have a great week.